0: Hello, and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's Daily Politics Podcast. I'm Isma Hardman, and I'm joined by James Forsyth. Well, we've had a Cabinet intervention in the cost of living debate that's going on in the Conservative Party. Jacob Rees Mogg, the leader of the House, is reported to have told the Cabinet that the planned rise to national insurance should not be going ahead. James, why has he been saying this, and what impact is it likely to have?
1: Well, Jacob Rees-Mogg is a kind of long-standing opponent of this increase in national insurance. You know, Back in September, he was one of three cabinet ministers to argue against it in, in the meeting that discussed it. One of those other cabinet ministers, David Frost, has since quit over the political direction of the government. I think one thing worth noting about what Jacob Rees-Mogg's position is, he, he thinks that you should just cut spending elsewhere to fund this. Uh, and that, that's going kind to of be his kind of long-standing view. I think his intervention... Will, is getting so much attention because everyone knows that the cost of living is going to be the big political issue of this year. And one of the big problems for the government is that in April, its opponents are going to accuse it of making things worse because it's putting up personal taxes. It's going to increase national insurance. Everyone will get a little bit less in their pay packet each week, at a time when people when people risk their pay packets not going as far because inflation is five uh, percent and rising, you know, that 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 is not well timed. And I think what you will see here is is more Tory pressure on this to, to scrap this national insurance rise between now and it coming in in April. Now, ultimately, I don't mean the government are going to U turn on this. I think mean, the government's view is, but you know, but the tax rise it, it isn't ideal, but the one thing a Tory government can't do is go into an election with, you know, the NHS waiting list having ballooned to kind of, you know, it's kind of ten million or something like that. And remember that one consequence of the current COVID situation is that the NHS waiting list is going to get worse. I mean, we are already seeing as a consequence the pressure on the NHS, you know, uh, routine operations and appointments being cancelled. There's going to be a lot more of that over the next month. And it's hard not to think that when we get the NHS waiting list figures in the spring, they'll be worse than they are now.
0: I also wonder whether Jacob Rees-Mogg making this intervention now, I mean, it's quite a significant in and of itself. But it's also interesting because he has been rumoured to be considering his position, uh, particularly following Lord Frost's departure, unhappy not just at uh, around the subject we've just discussed, but also COVID restrictions in the way that Lord Frost was too. Uh, but also that Boris Johnson had, had sort of lost faith in Rees Mogg following the Owen Paterson saga, which was really what sort of kicked off uh, the Prime Minister's autumn and winter of discontent. So there's been a kind of d- debate about whether Reese mogg is, is going to jump before he's, he's pushed in any sort of mini reshuffle. What do you think, James, about that?
1: Well, there was certainly a view that, that when Jacob Rees mogg was so clear in that September cabinet meeting, that this was kind of Reese mogg pointing out, because I remember at the time there was lots of speculation that Gavin Williamson might be given his job, but this was kind of Jacob Rees-Mogg reminding Boris Johnson that he could cause trouble too on the backbenches. I think there I think mean, there is something broader than this going on though. There is I think a lot of discontent on the right of the Tory party that helped propel Boris Johnson into number 10 in that 2019 leadership contest because they generally don't like the covid curbs, they don't like the tax increases and there's a feeling that you know that, that the government isn't doing enough to 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 seize the kind of opportunities of brexit, you know, as David Frost said in that c p s speech which now reads like a kind of uh, first draft of his resignation letter, if you 're just going to leave a single market in the customs union but carry on doing everything as before, you know that 's not going to work and I think this is this is the i mean there's a, I suspect rhys Morgan has a certain sympathy with that point of view would like to see more deregulation, and then I think obviously the Patterson affair you know, number 10, and I think, I think it is more with the Chief Whip than with Jacob Rees-Mogg, number 10 tried to shift the blame for that. And I think that one of the problems that that has created for them is that there is now a kind of clear distance between number 10 and the Whip's office. And, uh, as we both know as well, when, when that is the case, that is when parliamentary discipline really does begin to unravel quite quickly. I don't think it's any surprise that we saw after that, you know, Tory MPs became aware of that. You then saw such a big rebellion over, over the COVID Plan B measures. So I, I, think, I think that is the, the, I think Boris Johnson's biggest challenge is everyone can see this cost of living crisis coming. What is his answer to it? And the truth is, obviously, government has limited levers that it can pull. It can't control what the global energy price is. But I think he has to have something that he can do, because the kind of traditional Tory argument, which is Labour will tax you more, you know, that is slightly dented by the fact that they are going to be putting up national insurance come April.
0: Just another topic which has been causing Boris Johnson ongoing discomfort, to put it mildly, is the inquiry into the refurbishment of the Downing Street flat and we 've had some more information from uh, Lord Geit, who conducted one of the inquiries into this, which is that the, the Prime Minister says that his failure to disclose key messages regarding uh, where the money was coming from to cover the flat refurbishment. The reason he didn 't disclose those key messages was that he changed his phone number, and so some of the messages ended up on on the old device and weren 't transferred over. And Lord Guyte has apparently partially accepted this explanation, but uh, he's not happy, is he, James?
1: No, I think mean, the relief for Boris Johnson is that Lord Guyte hasn't resigned. I think if he had resigned, that would been the second advisor on standards and ethics that Boris Johnson had lost. It would have made things very difficult for him. But I think that it is quite clear that Lord Guyte isn't happy. And it's also, I think, the... the Excuse risks ridicule, which is that, you know, the messages just hadn't transferred from the old phone to the new phone. And so I I, I don't I, I think this is kind of this isn't as bad as it could have been because Lord Geist is not quitting. But but this is not going to be a particularly comfortable afternoon on this front for the prime minister
0: and you've written in your column uh, this week in the latest spectator which is out now in all good news agents and available online or as a subscription just get the plug in there uh, about the newly emboldened cabinet that there's obviously we've talked about two different problems for the prime minister which uh, weaken his authority in cabinet do you think he's going to allow the cabinet to be quite as outspoken as it has been recently for much longer
1: I think at the moment, he doesn't have much choice. Lord Frost's resignation was undoubtedly a blow to him. You know, this was someone who Boris Johnson had brought into government as a special advisor when he was foreign secretary, made the Brexit negotiator as prime minister, then ennobled him and put him in the cabinet. And if he is quitting over the political direction of a government, you know, it's very hard to brush that off. And I think that Boris Johnson can't afford any more cabinet resignations for a while. So I think, you know, I think he doesn't have much choice but to. I also think it could lead to better government. I mean, you know, I think if Boris Johnson was returned to the position of being kind of primus inter pares, rather than just turning up at Cabinet and saying, right, you know, these Cabinet meetings have become so perfunctory um, that, you know, the, 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 you know, he would basically turn up and say what was happening and everyone would nod and go. I mean, it was a joke among Cabinet ministers that, you know, speaking too much in Cabinet, even to agree with the Prime Minister was one of the things that made you likely to get um, to get the chop. I think mean, if, if, Cab- if, if Number 10 actually had to kind of prepare kind of considered arguments, to win the day in cabinet, that might lead to better decision-making. I mean, the obvious big question is, is whether Downing Street has the patience to govern through the cabinet. And also, uh, you can already hear people beginning to say this, well, look, you can't govern through the cabinet if, these, if, these discus- if all these discussions end up leaking. But, you know, that has been a time immemorial complaint. I actually think the benefit of binding people in to collective decisions way outweighs that.
0: Finally, the issue that's been dominating some of the front pages today is the Colston Four. Four Black Lives Matter activists who walked free uh, after they cleared by a jury of uh, committing any crimes and toppling the, the statue of Edward Colston in Bristol. James, you've got some thoughts on this, haven't you?
1: Yeah, I think, I think it's very tempting to say, what were the jury thinking? You know, a statue's got pulled down, how can you quit them? But it's a feature of a jury system that it allows juries to acquit, even in circumstances such as this.
0: Thank you, James. Thank you for listening. And if you enjoy these podcasts, you really must sign up to my Daily Evening Blend email, which is a free roundup and analysis of all the day's political events and a diary on what to expect next. Just go to spectator.co.uk forward slash blend